great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up later in today's Clark Rageous Moment, more states are trying to restrict what food is called on the label. I want to tell you what the shenanigans they're up to are all about. And coming up yet later, brand new data from the AAA that the cost of owning a vehicle has gone up yet again. You're going to be stunned what it actually costs for you to put your vehicle on the road each year. I'm going to give you the data and give you some suggestions how to fight back against those high prices. So I wanted to tell you about something that is quite surprising. Did you know there are now far more people in the United States working in solar and wind than there are in coal mining? Coal mining is in absolute retreat here in the United States and in much of the world. And the reason that there's now so many jobs in solar and wind is it's now cheaper in the United States, as well as in much of the rest of the world, to generate power from wind or solar than it is anything else. In the U.S., the cheapest energy in the United States, according to the New Energy Outlook from Bloomberg, wind is the cheapest way to generate power with no subsidies. It's the cheapest way to generate power in the United States. And so their analysis finds that in two-thirds of the world, it's now more economical to do solar and wind than coal or even very affordable natural gas. You know, natural gas has displaced most other forms of power other than uh, wind and solar, whatever people were using before. They're replacing with natural gas because natural gas is so much cheaper. It also burns a lot cleaner than uh, other forms, traditional forms of power like coal. So this is a major shift and something that power companies are fighting in the United States and doing so in either state legislatures or with state utility regulators is to prevent consumers from finding it cost-effective to put solar at their own homes. And so what's happened is the power companies realize that that's a real threat to them. They are getting rules put in place or legislation passed that makes it terrible for you as a consumer to install solar in many places because they want to own the solar at the power company so they can continue to be the ones that supply the power. Regardless, the mix of power is changing, and the great effect of this is that the cost that you and I have to pay for power at our homes or our businesses 
is going to get steadily cheaper because of how inexpensive it's becoming to install solar or wind. It changes depending on where you are in the country, which is the most effective method of generating energy. But the, the big knock on solar and wind has, by traditionalists has been that it's intermittent. When the sun's not shining or the, the wind's not blowing, that it's not a reliable source of power. But that is no longer true because of battery backup. I saw a very large uh, solar farm in southwest Florida that I went and toured that's owned by a monopoly power company called FPL, Florida Power and Light. And at their solar farm, they're installing more and more batteries so that when the sun's shining strong, the batteries have power stored in them when the sun's not shining as brightly or once dark comes along, the batteries supply power that has been generated by the solar and these batteries are getting steadily cheaper. So the way we get energy in the United States, we think about how many things get to be more expensive over time and we assume that means things only get more expensive. Well, I ask you, electronics. Do you think of them getting more expensive over time? Generally, they get better and cheaper, better and cheaper in a continuing virtual, virtuous cycle, ignoring what Apple and Samsung did in the last three years, trying to profiteer with their uh, cell flagship cell phone prices. But the reality is, if you think about the technologies involved with solar and wind, they are increasingly sophisticated devices that become more efficient and cheaper steadily, the benefit, in fact, flows back to you and me. Brad's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brad. Hello, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Brad. You are looking to be a really generous guy. Uh, I'm trying. Um, I've got a question. I'm trying to get I've got three young children, and I would like to get them set up with uh, 529 plans. Um, and I've done some basic research. Um, I think I'm going to go with a state plan um, out of Kansas. Um, but I'm not sure if I want to set it up for, for as one account or as three separate accounts for each child. Okay. So you cannot set up one account for three children. It has to be an individual account for each child. And that's, okay. that's no disadvantage. So let's say your oldest child ends up not needing the money or decides not to go to college, scholarships out, whatever. You tax and penalty free can then migrate money to the next oldest child. You just, you just change the beneficiary designation on that existing account. Okay. And in Kansas, I have um, some specific rules on which funds you should go into. Have you seen what I've said about the Kansas plan? Uh, no, I have not yet. Okay. So I've got a 529 plan guide. And Kansas is on my teacher's pet plan. 
And so I have an, a link for you to it and exactly what you should go into, which is what's known as the direct sold only plan, which is Kansas's okay. version of a commission-free plan, and only the equity index portfolio. And I explained that on my guide. All right. So, Sounds great. And I've got a hyperlink that will take you right to what are the safe choices there because something that is confusing to people and Brad I can understand why is an individual state can have multiple plans and then even within each plan it can have good choices and bad choices to put the money and so what I do is I go through roughly every 18 months I go through the legal description and plan documents that uh, the states have to file for every single 529 plan in the country that is commission-free and figure out which ones are good, which are bad, and within each plan that's a good plan, which investment choices are the ones you should go into. I see. Um, I have a follow-up question, and I and I think your first answer maybe can play into that a little. I, I want to continuing investing in 529s um, for each for each of my children to then hopefully be able for them to be able to pass on to their children someday in the very very far future. Is, how many times can a can a 529 beneficiary change? Typically, um, once a year. Oh, okay. So you got <laughs> lots of opportunity. So the issue becomes is when you do the plan documents. How does it work for someone else to be the uh, future contingent owner of the plan? So that if this plan outlives you, how it would become under the, under the ownership of a new responsible party. I see. So normally you would, you would wait to do it till, uh, let's say, a grandchild is born way down the road. Okay, so there's no advantage to starting something, except for the growth. Is there any? There's no real advantage because I don't know how to set it up. The administrative side of things becomes difficult. Is that what I? Well, yeah. So you got that, but then the other thing. Guess who you have to name as beneficiary if you're thinking of doing this for grandkids that don't even exist yet. Normally what's recommended is that you open one that you own and name yourself as the beneficiary and then you change that designation later when a grandchild is born and that way you have years that the money can grow and so you already have an account there that can be useful for that yet to happen grandchild and then when they're born you just change the beneficiary designation to the name of that grandchild. Hmm. Okay. Great. Thank you. It's a little bit extra work. <laughs> you got to think about if that's worth doing. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, James. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great. Thank you, James. You got a question for me about uh, shaving, right? I do, yeah. I know you've talked about razors quite a bit in the past, but I hadn't heard any recent updates. And I went online to orders a new stock of razors and uh, it looks like the options have changed or at least the pricing is 
changed a little bit from a couple of years ago. Yeah, the industry is an absolute turmoil because it used to be a two-horse race in the United States. Gillette overwhelmingly controlled the razor industry and they set the trends. They were they were like um, they were like Android in the razor business, where th- where everybody followed their lead, and then Schick was more like Apple, and it was just these two giant operators. And now, because of these upstarts, um, you know, Dollar Shave Club and Harry's, it changed the whole industry. And the market share of the two traditional behemoths has really shrunk and their power over pricing has collapsed. Well, I had noticed that um, one of those options that Schick had purchased and then another option where I had ordered razors a couple of years ago, now they're only doing their distribution on Amazon and the pricing has changed significantly uh, than when you used to be able to order directly from their website. Is this the Korean sellers, Dorco? Yes, it is. Yeah. So the razor business has gone through a chaotic phase. It's almost like the craziness going on with mattresses now, with all these new mattress brands to the point that nobody can even remember all the mattress brands that are direct selling. Same kind of thing happened with razors, and now bigger players are coming in and buying the upstarts, and the sales channels are changing as well. But there's still a lot of price competition. I mean, Costco, which had never done so, now sells their own Kirkland Signature razors that are really good. Sam's Club, that was selling its own private label when called Members Mark, has, to my knowledge, discontinued that one. But there's a lot of private labeling still going on and a lot of... Uh, online-only sellers, and so the razor market is wide open now. Not as wide open maybe as it was a year ago, but there's still hyper-competition. So have you tried the new Amazon uh, store-branded razor that they have? I think it's called the Solomon. I have not, um, because I have like a lifetime supply of, of blades since I've been making my last blade lasted a year. And so I don't need a lot of blades, but um, maybe I should buy it and try it. The reviews of the Amazon product, private label one, have been pretty good online. People have been generally pretty happy, and I don't think it hurts you to give it a try. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a heads up for you. More and more states are passing laws infringing on First Amendment rights for food producers to call their food what they were calling it. This started in Missouri, where uh, Missouri cattlemen are terrified about the new substitute meats, the meats that are plant-based, the idea of meats being made in a lab, and now several other states are passing restrictions on how things can be labeled. And I think it's just fine if there's some requirement that says uh, there'd be a, a warning label on something of a prominent size that says no beef or meat contained herein or no chicken contained herein. This is a substitute for but does not contain whatever it is. 
But the idea of restricting labeling to a point where a consumer, instead of being informed, is confused, is the real purpose of these state statutes. Is a lot of people who poured their life's work, their heart and soul and their money, are terrified of the competition coming from plant-based foods and alternative methods of growing food. And they should not be permitted to interfere in the free market and flow of information. I understand their fears, but it should not harm consumers instead of help them to have new labeling requirements. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. And if you like to save money when you're shopping, check out ClarkDeals.com. So, I got brand new data from the car buying industry. I read a briefing from Edmunds.com that the average amount people are borrowing now to buy a car, this is data from two months ago, is now, this is what they're borrowing when they buy a new vehicle, $32,590. That's the amount of their loan. And there's also a new report from AAA on the average amount that it costs for you, for your vehicle, per month. And it's now $774 a month. So how does it get to 774? When you get a new vehicle, you have this massive expense called depreciation. You know, it's what you'll hear people talk about that the value of a new vehicle drops so quickly in the first few years that it makes the cost of a new vehicle, even for year after year after year, gigantic. So you've got that, you've got the, the costs of the loan, insurance, uh, fuel is actually a relatively small amount of it for most people, and then maintenance. So, gosh, yeah, I saw an item, I don't remember where I saw it recently, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, but I could be wrong about that, that... There are a lot of traditional new vehicle buyers that when they find out how much it's going to cost for a monthly payment or how long the loan will be, they're turning around and they're going to the used vehicle lot and buying something used rather than new because of the whole affordability thing. And then I saw yet another item that the average length of a vehicle loan is the longest it's ever been. It's just a whisker under 70 months. Almost six years. So that's hideously ugly because it means you'll be upside down the entire length of that loan where you'll owe more than the vehicle's worth even though you're paying for it month after month, year after year. And a lot of people tire of a vehicle before they're even done with paying it. So then they create a negative 
mountain of debt where they're upside down in that vehicle, they traded in a dealer says, oh, I'm going to be your hero. I'm going to roll that into this new deal. And then you go even more upside down. Stop doing this kind of stuff. Think about what we're talking about is you're spending, uh, getting close to $10,000 a year just for transportation. So if you make a ton, okay. Most people don't make a ton. So really, really think about whether the vehicle you have is already just fine. You're just tired of it, but it's working fine. Or if you really, really, really do need that new vehicle. So the sweet spot in the market right now is really four-year-old vehicles seem to be the deal. And so think about that potentially. And as far as the cheapest of all vehicles to operate, this may be the first time that AAA has said this, electric vehicles are costing substantially less than traditional gas engine vehicles per mile to operate, roughly half the cost for an electric vehicle versus a gas engine one. And as that price gap between electric and gas vehicles to buy keeps narrowing, really electric vehicles, because there's no maintenance on them and the cost per mile is so low compared to gas engine vehicles, the compelling price argument for buying electric vehicles is going to be overwhelming probably within about two years' time from now. Kim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kim. Hi, Clark. Kim, you have a question for me about something I can't even get people to buy, and now you're thinking of getting rid of it. (laughs) Well, it ended. We already had life insurance when we were younger, and it just ended we had it for my husband when we were raising our kids and they said it's, you know, we were paying a certain amount, very cheap every single month and it just ended. And so now we don't know we're mid fifties. Should we get another uh, life insurance that would be more expensive than we were paying? Or should we just put that money instead into our retirement funds? So they're for such different purposes. Let's talk this out. So if you had a life insurance policy for the kid, you know, to protect the financial interests of the kids, kids are grown now? Yes. So now the reason to have life insurance, and that would have been some kind of level term insurance policy that was good for 20 or 30 years, I'm guessing? Yes. So that period's ended, is to protect each other financially. Are either or both of you still working? We're both still working full-time. All right, so that would be the reason for you to have a level-term policy with your husband as the beneficiary and for him to have one with you as the beneficiary, or you can even each own a policy on the other if you want, either way that an agent might recommend or even buying it online. So... 
there's still what's called an insurable need because if one of you were to pass away, that would potentially create, without the salary the other generates, in addition to the the heart aching, you know, the loss of the loved one, you have the loss of income. And so that would be the reason for, uh, how many more years do you think each of you are planning to work? Well, I'm 54. We talked about 70. He's 53. So we got a little bit of time left. Yeah. So the, in the case of both of you planning to continue working for, uh, gosh, 15 or so years, there's a strong need for you to have a new level term insurance policy and buy one for 15 years. Okay. If the premiums are too expensive for a 15-year, at least cover into your mid-60s with a 10-year level term. Okay. And Great. I have a, a guide that walks you through how to buy level term insurance on Clark.com, and you can do it so easily and so quickly, it'll surprise you. Okay. Great. All right. Well, best to both of you. Thank you, Clark. Bye-bye. Bye. Robert's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Robert. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Good, thank you. Robert, you're looking at something pretty exciting in your life, being yes. completely mortgage debt-free. Yes. Tell me. Yes. Well, um, at one point, we were debt-free on our mortgage, uh, but then we decided to move. Um bought a house that we were planning on. This is the house that we're going to stay in. And we want to go ahead and pay it off. Um, we rolled everything we got from the other house into this house, but we still owe um, roughly 117000 And we had done a five-year arm, and we're like two and a half to three years into it. And we're just deciding we have quite a bit of money in uh, money market and then some savings and not enough to completely pay it off, but just trying to get the payment down a little farther because, you know, half of our payment each month is going to interest. Right. And you won't, and just, you won't change what you have to pay each month by right. prepaying principal, but you will mm -hmm. effectively shorten the loan dramatically and you'll have, of every dollar you pay, massively more of it will go towards principal each month instead of interest. Right. And my question was, is, is the we have the money market, and it's like at 2%. So, I mean, it's gaining, but if I take all of that out, I mean, leave a little bit in there, but if I take the majority of it out and pay down the house, is that the smarter route to go? as opposed to just continuing the payments and drawing interest on that money in the money market. Sure. So the question comes, if you had a financial emergency, what could you draw on in your life? Um, well, I wouldn't take it all out. I would. I was planning on still keeping maybe in an, another savings account that I have about $20,000. And how um, many months of living expenses would 20000 cover? Um, well... I'm not exactly sure, but um, I am close to the point that what I could, I'm eligible to retire now, so I would have my pension. Oh, okay. Go ahead and, yeah. and take the money from the money market. You just, you just convinced me. 
take the, you okay. leave the twenty thousand as rainy day money. Take yeah. the money from the money market, and how much is in the money market? Right now, there's um, seventy thousand. Yeah. So then you're looking at forty-seven thousand balance remaining on your mortgage. Making those same monthly payments you make now is going to make an enormous difference in how quickly you're completely mortgage debt free. I would do that. Okay. All right. Because you already have a Great. pension. It sounds yeah. like you're someone who has lived your life substantially below what you make. Yes. <laughs> and so it's going to be great for you to be on a trend line to own your home free and clear at the time you do take your pension. Right. I, what I'm planning on doing is um, because I also have um, a deferred comp that um, when I do retire, that I was going to take and whatever's left on the mortgage, I was going to pay it off. I just didn't want that to be so much that I got hit with so much in tax. Got it. So, so go for this and got a lot of people that are going to be green with envy because you're going to join the, I think it's 30% of people in America own their homes free and clear. You're going to be there before you know it. Great. Good job. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Jacqueline joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you. So, Jacqueline, you want to say... What's that? I said, such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. And you also find it pleasing to save money every day. I'm trying. I mean, one penny saved is a penny earned, right? That is exactly right. And what are you thinking of doing? So um, I have um, read from a group that I belong to on Facebook. They are talking about a new app that they are recommending people to sign up. So I look kind of look into it, but I'm also a little worried. So the concept is you link your credit card onto the app. Then when you use the um, when you use your credit card, this app will give you back the money. So I was thinking, since I am earning cash back on my credit card, but I'm not comfortable linking my credit card to an app so I can earn more money back. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fine to do. There are several of these apps. Which one are you looking at? Can I say the name? Yeah, please. Dosh. Yeah, so Dosh, I don't have a lot of familiarity with it, but it's one that's been out there for a while, and there are participating businesses and products that if you use the card that you've registered with Dosh, you shop at those Mm -hmm. places or buy those items, you then get, in addition to whatever cash back or miles you're getting on a card or whatever, you also get Mm -hmm. additional money from Dosh. And so uh, that's okay. just fine to do. Great. Perfect. Because that's very tempting, but I want to make sure I check with you first, make sure there's not a scam. It is absolutely okay. So, Thank you so much. I you appreciate know, these it. Things, these things won't make you rich, but they make you money at the margins. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Brad, I understand you have a graduation coming up. What's the scoop? Hey, Clark. How are you? It's good to talk to you. Good to have you here. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, is graduating uh, in May of 2021. And, you know, everybody says, go ahead, uh, try to get your hotels booked as early as possible because, you know, as it gets closer to graduation time, it's next to impossible to find hotels anywhere around the university. Where's she going? So, uh, university of Virginia. Oh yeah. So finding rooms in or close to Charlottesville, extremely difficult. And this is true for any major state university that is not in a big city. And yeah. So and, and that's the issue. So, you know, I want to try to book a hotel as soon as possible. Um, and I want, and I've been trying, but I guess, hotels only book out at least one year in advance. So I was trying to figure out what, what's my strategy here? What, what can I do? So with each chain, you just need to know um, what their booking window is. And if you go to the major chains and you put in the date of your daughter's graduation, the calendar will either open up or it won't. Okay. And you'll see when the last date is they're taking reservations and that's how you'll know what date it is that would be the appropriate number of days out. Like a lot of travel sites allow bookings 331 days out. Okay. And I don't know why 331. It's just that's been what it's been <laughs> in the travel business. And okay. know that the hotels really take advantage at those graduations. No, yeah, unfortunately, I understand. So, um, but there's no other trip or uh, tips or tricks. There's nothing that there's no like backdoor, like two years out or tools that I could use. It's just really no, of it. no. But I will tell you that in a lot of college towns, there are people who go on uh, list their properties on Airbnb just okay. for football weekends and graduation weekends. Okay. And you may find that you're going to get a better deal booking with a private homeowner than you're going to get booking mm -hmm. with a hotel. And yeah, so that is that. that is the alternative I recommend for both the big football games and the biggest event of all, your daughter's graduation. Congratulations to you and to her. She's a bright kid to be able to make it through UVA. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.